Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention this great resource called the YouVersion Bible app. Absolutely free, full of all kinds of resources. And if you look under events, search for Arlington FM Church. There you will find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. And also, when you're in your favorite podcast player, if you'd likewise search for Arlington FM Church, there you'll find all of our teaching content. You can listen through it, share it with friends. Well, uh, speaking of teaching content, this morning I want to bring to you a kind of a standalone message, uh, you know, and uh, we'll begin with this. Uh, the idea that uh, when we know what it is we're supposed to do, we tend to do a lot better at actually doing it, getting it done. In fact, uh, one guy who was known as the father of modern business, guy named uh, Peter Druckers, he once said uh, two greatest questions you can ask of any business endeavor would be, uh, number one, what business are we in? And number two, how is business? You know, uh, I uh, heard over the Father's Day weekend last weekend that one of the things uh, guys like is uh, we like to know what's the win. You know, what do I need to do to, to be successful in this? Uh, and I, I had an experience of that uh, about a week ago myself. My wife uh, needed some uh, dirt, some topsoil uh, to do some work in the garden. And so I set off early one morning uh, for uh, the topsoil yard. I think it was called Topsoils Northwest or something like that. But uh, I went quite early in the morning and uh, I wasn't real clear on exactly what kind of topsoil I needed. And so I drove in there, and uh, as I said, it was quite early in the morning, but there was all this machinery uh, going on around me. Uh, I was in my little tiny Santa Fe. There was uh, professional landscapers going to and fro, and uh, it, the, uh, the piles that I needed to draw from weren't exactly marked the way my wife described what she needed. Uh, you know, she needed uh, potting soil and fertilizer, uh, but there was every signage that uh, said everything but that. There was uh, fertile compost. There was uh, filler dirt. And uh, I finally just decided, after looking through all the options, uh, she's getting dirt. And so I filled my little Tupperware tote uh, buckets and uh, drove home. Well, about an hour later, I was back at the same place getting exactly what she needed. You know, a little bit of clarity. Uh, helps a lot in life. Well, uh, that's true, uh, not only in the little tasks of life, but it's true in the much more important things, especially in the arena of our faith journey. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul would write uh, a few decades after the resurrection of Jesus that uh, when it comes to our faith, there is what he called the riches of assured understanding, that uh, there, are, there are wonderful things that happen in our faith journey when we have a sense of clarity about what it is we're called to be and to do. And, uh, you know, in the first few decades after the resurrection of Jesus, there began to be a lot of different ideas about what, uh, who Jesus was, what he taught, what he was calling his followers to do. And there were not only a lot of ideas, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of conflicting thoughts. 
And uh, the reality was uh, there were a lot of different brands of what it meant to be Christian. And imagine that, living through a time like that. Well, you don't have to imagine. You are living through a time like that when there are a lot of different brands. There's a lot of confusion. You know, if there's riches of complete understanding, there's poverty of partial understanding. And I think we're living in a time such as that. In fact, much of the New Testament was written uh, to bring clarity uh, to uh, that confusion about who Jesus was, what he taught, what his followers were supposed to, what are they being called to go get? Hey, what's the end game? What's the win here? In fact, one of those writers, a guy named Luke, he wrote about 25% of the New Testament, what we call the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, known as his sequel. And uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke uh, decides that with uh, all the ideas floating around, and uh, there were a lot of them, uh, some of them taught that Jesus wasn't really flesh and blood, he was kind of a spiritual aberration, and uh, therefore it didn't really matter uh, what we did with this body, what mattered is uh, how we communed with God spiritually. And so uh, with a lot of conflicting thoughts and ideas circulating around, uh, Luke decides that he also should write an account of the life and the teaching of Jesus. And he writes to a, a Gentile friend of his, apparently a guy of high standing. Uh, the guy's name was Theophilus. It's commonly understood that uh, he was uh, a Gentile a believer, that Jesus had come uh, through uh, the Jewish uh, people as God's Messiah to the world. He refers to his friend Theophilus, Theophilus as a most excellent. Uh, so apparently he was a guy who had a title and influence. And uh, here is what Luke writes to his friend about uh, the life, the teaching, and the message of Jesus. He says, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, uh, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word of truth that came through Jesus. In other words, Luke is saying, uh, I wasn't among those who uh, were the first eyewitnesses, uh, but I knew them. And uh, so he, he gathered all the information that was available to him. He goes on, he says, with this in mind, uh, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too have decided to write an orderly account for you. You know, you got to uh, get here that Luke, uh, being kind of a strategic thinker, uh, he saw that there were uh, some writings really good, like maybe Matthew and John and, and Mark. And there were a lot of writings that weren't so good. And there was uh, one gospel according to Judas. There were a variety, the gospel according to Thomas. And so uh, with these in mind, Luke says, I decided to write something orderly that was really well thought out and well put together uh, for you, most excellent Theophilus, for this reason so that you may know the certainty of the things which you have been taught, that you would know what the win is. You would know what the end game is. As a follower of Jesus, you would know what it is that he's called us to be and to do and to teach. You see, Luke wanted his friend to experience the riches of assured understanding 
what business are we in and how is business? Well, in one amazing chapter of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, uh, he does, uh, pulls together uh, the, uh, the mission of Jesus along with the miracles of Jesus and the message of Jesus. And it's a profound compilation of the things that Luke thoroughly investigated, uh, crafted together into an orderly account. I would encourage you, if you don't uh, find the time to read through Luke's whole gospel, read Luke chapter 5, and you will discover some amazing things. Uh, really, in a sense, and I'm calling this message uh, the mission, uh, the miracles, and the message of Jesus. And you find all of these, uh, and they're not separate. They're woven together. They form one composite, clear presentation to us of who Jesus is, what he came to do. Well, let's start with the mission of Jesus as presented in Luke chapter 5. Uh, Jesus had already raised some eyebrows by the way he approached the Jewish religious laws and traditions, uh, not the least of which was calling a guy named Levi, a tax collector despised by the Jewish people, uh, really uh, an unclean person according to the Jewish traditions. Uh, to make matters worse, as Luke tells the story, uh, that Jesus uh, not only called Levi to follow him, but Luke informs us that Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Uh, now keep in mind, Luke is not just storytelling, you know, reminiscing for the sake of uh, telling a good tale. He's strategically presenting these events so that his friend Theophilus would know with certainty uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so he's eating and uh, drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, but we're told, according to Luke, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, uh, they, the conservative party, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Now you can imagine Luke's friend Theophilus is probably really getting engaged with the story at this point. And no doubt, as a Gentile believer, he probably incurred the same criticism. Why is it that you hang out with, you have discourse with, you have friendship relationships with those who we deem uh, unworthy tax collectors and sinners? That's a good question. Well, Jesus gave a good answer. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then this mission statement, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. Uh, Jesus is saying, you want to know what my win is? You want to know what my end game is? Uh, my end game is uh, reaching people who are far away from God, whose lifestyle looks nothing like what God would affirm. Uh, my end game is a uh, being close enough to those people that I can call them to a better life, uh, to a life that revolves around their creator, restoration with their heavenly father. Yeah, you know, uh, again, you ask the question, what business are we in? Well, according to Jesus, the business we're in is reaching people who are far away from God. Are we getting topsoil? Are we getting compost? Are we getting fertilizer? Are we getting dirt? You know, Jesus goes right to the point of we're reaching for people who are desperately in need of God. You know, Luke returns to this mission of Jesus again and again and again in his orderly account that he's assembled 
for his friend Theophilus that he might know with certainty what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow in his teachings. Now, probably the most succinct, Luke chapter 19, uh, Luke writes again the statements that come from the words, the mouth of Jesus, the Son of Man, uh, came for this reason, to seek and to save the lost. Uh, this is what Jesus is about, and uh, this is what following him uh, takes us toward. You know, uh, Jesus expressed really the heart of God. Uh, Prophet Ezekiel has an amazing glimpse uh, into the ministry that Jesus would live out. Uh, he says in Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, this is the heart of God. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. I will look after them. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. I will search for the lost, and I will bring back the strays. And uh, so uh, the mission of Jesus is crystal clear. He came to reach people far from God. He came to search for them, care for them, to rescue them, bring them back to their creator. And now we look at Luke chapter 5, the miracles of Jesus. And here's a, a truth about the miracles. They're not separate from the mission or the message of Jesus. In fact, they're living demonstrations. This is what reaching lost people looks like. This is what searching for those who are scattered in faraway places. This is how it's lived out in technicolor and so uh, Luke presents three miracles of Jesus, uh, all of these in chapter 5. We're going to storm through them just so you can be mindful what they are. Number one was uh, the miraculous catch of fish. Uh, this is where uh, the discipleship, uh, those who would uh, join Jesus in his mission and in his work, this is where it starts for them. We're told when Jesus had finished speaking to a crowd, he said to Simon, put into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Uh, Jesus had stepped into Peter's boat, and Peter went from being a spectator to being a full participant. Jesus is now at the center of Peter's world, which is in of itself a lesson. But when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will do it. I will let down the nets. When they did so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And Simon realizes that this is no normal fishing excursion. This, these fish you know, paraded into their nets in record fashion at the command of Jesus and uh, Peter realizes uh, something holy is going on here in the mission and the work of Jesus. Uh, something's taking place that's well beyond uh, Peter's understanding or capacity. And so he says, uh, when he saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees. He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Uh, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. You know, it's good to think, <clears throat> again, of why Luke's writing this account. Uh, his good friend Theophilus, his Gentile friend, a man of influence, is probably having the same reaction. 
as he contemplates this miracle catch of fish at the command of Jesus, he's probably feeling unworthy himself. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. That's miracle number one. In a rapid sequence then, uh, Luke presents miracle number two. This is a healing of a man whose body was covered with leprosy. He would have been considered religiously unclean, an outcast, unworthy of God's favor and affection. And we're told while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, Jesus reached out his hand. He touched the man. He did what was uh, forbidden according to uh, the Jewish religious traditions. He touched him. He said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then uh, again, rapid fashion, uh, Luke cobbles in uh, a retelling of miracle number three in this amazing uh, chapter five of his gospel. Uh, this uh, has to do with a paralyzed man who encountered uh, Jesus through the help of his friends. They got to the place where Jesus was teaching, couldn't get in. They did something rather dramatic. We're told one day Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. You can almost feel the tension in the room. Uh, those who uh, were really questioning the methods of Jesus, the people he associated with, and yet there's this uh, sense that God is present, able to do uh, miraculous things. Uh, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof. They lowered him on his mat through the tiles. They had torn a hole in the roof lowered their friend right in the middle of the crowd and this room full of religious leaders common people tension in the air uh, and when jesus saw their faith uh, he said to them friend your sins are forgiven now keep in mind uh, luke is presenting to his friend an orderly account uh, of the mission uh, the miracles and the message of jesus and as i said you can't unravel these they all communicate the same thing. And so uh, now we turn our thoughts to the message of Jesus. What is he saying, according to Luke, as he compiles these events into this one amazing chapter of his gospel? Well, the message of Jesus is that he came to reach lost people far from God. He came to do it miraculously. It wouldn't be confined uh, to human methodologies, uh, the, the miraculous catch of fish, would have communicated that God is doing something that's well beyond human capacity or engineering. The healing of a man with leprosy would mean that God was reaching to people who others had considered unworthy and unmeriting God doing anything special in their lives. And the healing of the man lowered through the roof would indicate that this kind of reaching that God's involved in and knows no boundaries, uh, isn't willing to uh, be turned away 
by obstacles, is willing to do what it takes to get the life of Jesus to those who need it. You know, uh, you could really summarize it in one of Luke's contemporaries, a guy named Matthew, in his gospel. He wrote this about the mission of Jesus. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, what's the message that Luke is communicating about the mission and the miracles of Jesus? Uh, it really is this, that the followers of Jesus are called to be involved in that reaching, to be involved in that rescuing, uh, to not come to be served, but to serve and to give their lives along with Jesus to reach people far from God. You could say it like this, when serving people who need God becomes the focus of our devotion to Christ, our lives get bigger and better. Uh, hear that again. Uh, this is, this is the, the mission. This is the miracle. This is the message of Jesus, according to Luke chapter 5, when serving people who need God becomes the focus of our devotion to God and to Christ, our lives get bigger and our lives get better. Well, uh, one of the questions that certainly would have emerged uh, from Luke's good friend Theophilus as he read this account, this, this uh, orderly compilation of the events of Jesus's life, is uh, the question that is stirred up is what would compel someone to choose an angry, judgmental form of religion over and above joining Jesus in his mission of reaching people with good news? What would compel that kind of choice? And, uh, you know, uh, what emerges uh, at the end of this chapter is that because of self-styled religious traditions, preferences, and expectations, uh, people often opt out uh, from this uh, participating uh, in the mission and in the, yeah, the teachings of Jesus and experiencing the miraculous flow of God's life through them to people. We often opt out of that in order for something that feels safer, that feels more like what we expected when we opted in. And so uh, Jesus uh, ends with a teaching, and Luke includes that here at the end of this strategic chapter. Uh, he says this, uh, Jesus told them a parable to explain this mission that he is on. He says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. In other words, he didn't come to fix the old religious system. He says, otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. It doesn't fit. You can't, you can't force it into the old paradigm. He says it another way, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. Well, what's the message here? New wine must be poured into new wineskins. There must be a, a new spirit, a new uh, temple uh, for God to fill with his presence and uh, to uh, bring his life uh, into our world. Uh, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, even wants the new, for they say the old is better. And uh, really, wow, 
Uh, what an end to this incredible uh, chapter that Luke has compiled for his friend Theophilus and for us uh, to bring us, to usher us into the riches of full understanding uh, that we would embrace that Jesus came for lost people. You know, when we talk about Jesus coming for sinners instead of the good people, we're really not talking about two different classes. Some are better off with God than others, and Jesus came for the others, because we know that all have sinned and fall short of God's goodness. But Jesus came for those who know how desperate their lives are. They're not pretending that a good dose of religious habits is going to make them good with God. They realize they're hopelessly lost without the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And for those, Jesus said, I came. I'm available. And in fact, what Jesus came to do is so overwhelmingly good. It's like those nets overflowing with fish. We simply can't contain it. We can only cooperate and be involved in going where he's going following his lead, being a part of his wonderful plan. I want to invite you to pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for guys like Luke uh, who would uh, look at the events of your coming, uh, your wonderful teaching, the amazing miracles you did, and ponder uh, what's the message to us. And I want to thank you, Lord, uh, for Luke chapter 5, for this compilation of the miracles and the, the ministry, the teaching of Jesus and Lord thank you for the clarity that you bring to us today of what it means in our complicated world when there's all kinds of division and there's different voices saying well this is what it means to be Christian thank you for the reminder that you came to seek and to save that which is lost you came to call people to broken people to participate with you from now on, you will fish for people. Uh, thank you, God, that we can be a part of what you're doing in the world. Uh, we humbly uh, open ourselves up to you. Uh, thank you that you're in the middle of our muddle. You're with us in those complicated relationships, and we pray for your redemptive life to pour into us and through us into our world. In Jesus' name, amen.